Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 63 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 29th, 2009. We have a very exciting show for you this week on the podcast. Spring football concluded this past weekend with the annual spring game, the Trojan Huddles. We'll talk all about that. Also, the NFL Draft occurred this past weekend. 11 Trojans were drafted. We'll talk about that. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can you know, talk about it on the uscfootball.com message board. We'll try and get your questions on the air. We'll have a bunch of questions to answer today, in fact. Uh, and in the first segment, of course, we're going to talk a little spring football. We'll talk some draft with the coach, Harvey Hyde. How you doing today, coach? Ryan, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm trying to get my dog to speak to see, see, so we <laughs> last week. Oh, yes. So yeah, so she said that she's got to get twice as much time in the day. So she's laying here next to me here looking at me, uh, asking me to give her the cue when she uh, can say hello to all of our dog lovers out there and all of her buddies. <laughs> but uh, I want to welcome everyone. And spring football is done, which means now uh, spring uh, conditioning again starts and also spring recruiting uh, continues. So. There's really never any downtime for a football coach any longer. Normally they take a couple of weeks off in July, but there is so much uh, year-round programs that uh, kids have to do and coaches have to do today that and make up work and summer school and academics and qualifications and being eligible and all the things that are necessary that there it's a lot of work still going on. Just because spring football is done as far as with the for the public and for the actual practice, uh, Ryan. There is a lot going on in the athletic departments throughout the country regarding academics and athletics. Yeah, you would know, Coach. And I talked to a few of the USC coaches, and they're hitting the road right away. Uh, May evaluations are going on right now, so a lot of the coaches will go out and check out spring practices from high school players from all over the country. So they're going to be busy. The, the players have a little bit of downtime. They're still doing some work, but the, the the real work will start when they do their summer workouts. It probably starts at the beginning of June or so, and they'll start throwing the ball around again amongst themselves like they did in the winter before, you know, heading into spring football. But lots going on. Uh, I wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment before we really get going, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Coach uses them. I use them. Coach, I actually might have to give them a call. Uh, I'm going to Boston in June, taking my girlfriend back, and she wanted to see Fenway Park. So I'm going to have to call him and get some Red Sox tickets because I think they've been sold out for years and years. He can do that, too. I'll tell you, this guy's a genius. I call Curtis there at Southern California Ticket Service and tell him we said to call, and he'll take good care of you. It's like a training room. You go in there, and you get fixed up and rehabbed up, and you're ready to go anywhere. And uh, he does a great job. You know, talking about uh, commits, early commits and so on, uh, Xavier uh, Grimble, the big tight end from Bishop Gorman High School. I'll tell you, he is a great player. Believe me, he is. And when you think of Bishop Gorman High School, uh, you know, that's where DeMarco Murray went and uh, Ryan Reynolds, and uh, they're both playing for Oklahoma now, and, and the stars for Oklahoma. 
Their verbal commits so far at Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, Nevada, they have two players already verbally committing to Stanford. They've got one to Oklahoma. They've got an offensive guard committed to Cal. And now they got Xavier committing to USC, the tight end. is about 6'6", 250 pounds. Played also on their basketball team that won the state championship in the state of Nevada. I, I'm telling you, can you imagine one high school team, and they're not done, one high school team with juniors having these many commits already? That's a lot of commits, Coach. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're Gerard's all over that, and we, uh, you know, we talking about all the recruiting stuff on uscfootball.com. But it's, it's funny when you see a program like that just excelling and stuff. And it, it seems to happen in bunches as well. You get a whole bunch in one year for some reason. Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, recruiting always has been something I've enjoyed watching and doing and so on. I love to recruit in, uh, when I was a coach. So I want to throw that in there because I know his coach up there and, and so on. And uh, this kid uh, really uh, it went down to Oklahoma and USC, as you know, and, and uh, USC was his choice, and he's going to be a great addition to the Trojan family. All right. Well, Coach, we want to talk a little spring football first since uh, Trojan Huddle occurred. It wasn't a – I mean, you were down there. You were you were all over the, the Trojan Huddle like we were. It, it was an interesting scrimmage. Uh, usually you see a little bit more offense than kind of what you saw there. They had the first-team offense go against the first-team defense and, and second-team versus second-team, stuff like that. So it was pretty evenly matched. Uh, maybe the second-team defense was a little uh, light just because there were some injuries and stuff. But – uh, yeah, what did you think overall? The scrimmage ended up being sixteen to ten, so only two touchdowns were scored and, and three field goals. Well, you know, first of all, let me tell you what a football Saturday it was. The NFL draft, the huddle, which is the scrimmage in the Coliseum, where twenty-two thousand five hundred people came out, and then I went over to UCLA in the Rose Bowl and watched their scrimmage too. So I had a great day of football. And when you look at spring practice, it's amazing: twenty-two thousand five hundred at the Coliseum. 50,000 in Nebraska, uh, 80,000 uh, in Alabama, and then the one that broke the record was Ohio State with 95,000 people at their spring game. Woo, that's I'll tell a you, lot. <laughs> I'll tell you, can you imagine? And they charge for that. They charge. Now, UCLA got in for free, but uh, and they had about 12,000 there. Uh, but Dick Vermeil was there, and Terry Donahue, they all spoke on the big screen, you know, trying to encourage everybody to get fired up on Bruin football and so on. But it was a great football Saturday if people wanted to enjoy football all day long. It really was. But what did I think of the spring uh, uh, huddle? And and that at first, you know, I, I liked it, but I thought it was a little boring. Uh, what I mean by that, and I'm not saying football is boring, but whenever you split up your squads and, and uh, everyone knows it's the last day of practice and Everybody's looking forward to moving on and so on. And, and the number one objective of spring practice is not to get anybody hurt but get better. And I think USC did that. I think they got better. I think they competed. And I don't believe there was any serious injuries. There were some players that couldn't play in the spring because they were hurt and rehabbing, like O'Dowd and McKnight and Bradford and so on. That's to be expected. Ailes the tight end and so on. But I think the football team got better. Uh, I think it was the most competitive spring ever that I can remember as far as the quarterback position. Now, they've had some competitive spring practices as far as at quarterback when people have left. But I think this was the most publicized and most competitive 
spring for a long period of time that I've I've seen and watched at USC. Uh, Barkley came in, I think, and surprised everybody, including the coaches. I think he he surprised the team, the coaches, and everything with his abilities and so on. And and uh, he is going to be. And this is something that I hate to predict or hex anybody, but before he's through at USC, he might be the greatest quarterback ever there. Because if he continues to grow and get better and understand the offense, he he is unbelievable the way he has progressed being a – he would have still been a senior in, in high school. So hats off to the competition at quarterback. Hats off to Corp and Mustaine, who is a gentleman and a guy that went out and competed every day, and I know how hard it is for him after transferring from Arkansas – to be in that third slot position right now, but all that does is make the Trojans a stronger team at that position. So that was the number one thing I noticed in the spring was the competition at several positions. I think that the receivers, the receivers uh, are stronger and better. I think there's more depth with the receivers. The offensive line has more depth than I've seen in a long period of time and competed very well. I'd like to see him get smacked in the mouth a few times, I'd like to see them get a little bit tougher and be able to get the yard when they need a yard and so on. But they've got great athletes there, and uh, if they continue to grow and compete and get tough, then I think the offensive line will be as good as an offensive line that they've had there for a while. Because remember, Dad wasn't out there in the spring, too, and he's an, a Pac-10 all-coast all, all player. Now, the running backs, uh, several of the running backs were hurt. I think there was great comp- competition there. Uh, I think that uh, they they didn't get what they wanted out of the running backs in the spring. Uh, I don't think that they progressed at, at a point that they're happy. I think Curtis McNeil came out and surprised everybody. I think Mark Tyler in the final scrimmage performed, but he was up and down. And I think that now they're not – they really truly I, – I think they wanted two backs to really emerge – and say, this is our position. Now, I think they're going to have to wait to the fall to see that. I didn't see that happening as far as the running backs. As far as tight end was concerned, I think Ellison was the guy that really proved a lot. McCoy uh, was off and on. Uh, they didn't throw the ball to him at all. I don't even know if he played in, this, in the huddle. Did he play in the huddle? M- McCoy? Yeah. Now, McCoy got hurt. He uh, was doing a block. I think he was trying to block... Uh, Armand Armstead or something like that, and then he ended up hurting his shoulder, so he had to leave. So he was in the beginning, and that yeah. I think that really set him back. Even with the blocking and stuff too, they were you're already thin at tight end and losing McCoy early. I think that was part of the reason why the offense got disrupted. Yeah, because they had their first two tight ends out. Really, when you think of Ailes and McCoy. Yeah. So I think that the offense uh, is is potentially going to be outstanding. I like the coaching changes uh, as far as now Jeremy Bates being the offensive coordinator. No, well, I don't want to say he's the offensive coordinator, but he's not by title. He's a quarterback coach, but he is quoted a lot more than Johnny Morton is as far as the progress of the offense. And I believe that's because he is doing the play calling. I don't think that has anything to do with titles and so on, but when you work with the quarterbacks and you call the plays, people – sort of interview you more and and go to you as far as what you think of the offense. So I think the offense right now in the spring accomplished everything at every position, except I don't feel that at the offensive running backs, they're satisfied. Uh, Shoemake, uh, I think, had a good spring. 
But I don't think that the backs played or they can't really have what you call a definite two backs. It's, it's right now going to be in the fall where they decide that. So uh, I thought, too, that the walk-on kickers, uh, the punter didn't have a great day in the huddle, but the punter and the field goal kicker for walk-ons, I, I thought they did a great job. I really did. And, and I'll tell you, this new kid coming in from Mount Sac, who in the fall is going to have to beat these two guys out, I think. Uh, he does punting and field goal kicking, but these guys have done it under fire and scrimmage. So, uh, you know, I'm anxious to see just how he does. Plus, I'm anxious to see how this nose tackle for Mount Sac does, this great uh, big Simone kid that's coming in to play uh, with the defensive line. We haven't talked about the defense yet. Hebron, uh, fan, yeah, Hebron, Hebron Van Gupo, he's actually at the scrimmage there. He looked, uh, he looked like he could get in play right now for sure. <laughs> but you know what I mean? The, the, the tackles really uh, did play well. And he will be many. I don't know if he has a redshirt year or not, but if he has a redshirt year, on my thinking, and I hate to get jumped to the defense like this because I know you're going to ask me some questions about the offense, but if he has a redshirt year, I would think that they would want to redshirt him and not waste a year eligibility on him and let him have his fall camp and spring practice before next year. But that's my thoughts on the offense. I think it really came along. I think the offensive line needs to get tougher. What I mean is smack people in the mouth more, and uh, I think they've got to work on their pass blocking a little bit, yet they're going against some great defensive ends and tackles rushing. But I thought there were a couple of breakdowns in uh, in a couple of the scrimmage, especially Huddle. What, Perry got four sacks? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How does a guy get four sacks in one spring? I mean, uh, man, I mean, that's unbelievable. So we'll see what happens. So he had a good, nice uh, scrimmage in the, in the in the huddle. It was funny, Nick Perry, uh, you know, he's out of Michigan, you know, high, highly rated recruit, like set all kinds of sack records in high school, and people were asking about him on the message boards, and we're like, really, he's been third string, he hasn't really done much, but that final, you know, we were saying that, and then the last couple practices, Carol noted, like, Nick Perry's really coming on, we hadn't really seen it too much, we are like, really, we didn't really notice watching him practice, and then in the huddle, he went banana, so then... So he, he started off slow in the spring and then, you know, just really kind of made a name for himself. But one, one point I wanted to bring up, Coach, uh, noticed Aaron Corp number of times took off and just ran. It wasn't like long runs, but he would run and just go get the first down a few times. And I think, do you think that's something that, I mean, I don't think USC fans are used to seeing that from their quarterback. Do you think that's something we'll see a lot of come the fall? I absolutely hope so. Because I'll tell you right now, when you have a quarterback that can scramble and run and you have great skilled players like USC has, and you've got a quarterback when it's third and eight and third and seven, <laughs> and he has the ability to take off and run and slide and get that first down. That puts a lot of pressure on a defense, believe me. Before SC's quarterbacks, they don't want to run. They're not supposed to run. But Corp has the ability to take off and go, and I tell you, that's going to put a lot of strain, a lot of strain on the defenses of the teams that are going to play. The thing they've got to teach him, though, if you remember, he ran on one. I think it was a second or a third down second down and he came up a yard short they've got to teach him exactly how many yards he needs to go before he slides or uh, avoids getting hit to make sure he picks up that first down so that's things you learn and they'll teach him when they watch the videos and the tapes and, and he'll get that first down but he's going to be very dangerous you know he was a great running quarterback in a, a high school and, and I don't think they worked on it in the spring I wasn't there during the week 
But in the fall, in the fall, and I don't think this is any secrets, in the fall, I think you're going to see a little bit of option with Aaron Corp. I really think you're going to see somewhere, and you don't understand the strain that will put on a defense when you have a quarterback. If you notice, they ran a lot of shotgun, which means they can put that in, that uh, Tiger offense, where they run that little uh, re- the read in there and fake draw and then come around and, and, and read the tackle and see if he's coming out or going in and he'll turn up and run or they'll bring a slot back around or somebody for the toss. I'm going to tell you. Uh, or the tailback back around or somebody, uh, that would really complete the offense at USC. Just not a lot of plays. Just a couple of plays of what Florida's running and Utah's running and a lot of these teams are running. But that will really put a strain on uh, defenses. I didn't see any uh, screens now. I didn't see any screens in the spring. I wish we'd, I mean, in the, in the, in the huddle, the, the, the big uh, huddle on Saturday, I saw screens during spring practice, but I don't think we saw the complete offense. I think there's some things there that they're not working on or want to show uh, until the fall comes around. And, and obviously, Ohio State has won that they have in the second game, and, and I, I think a lot of their offense uh, will be put in the fall or, or completed. But they had young quarterbacks here working, and they didn't want to confuse them. All right. Well, the, it's good points there. And then I just want to get some points on the defense as well. You know, we talked about the defensive line. There was a lot of sacks there. Nick Perry kind of leading the way. The secondary, I thought, played really well, especially the cornerbacks. I mean, T.J. Bryan had a nice pick. Marshall Jones had an interception. Um, there was there was there was a lot of plays on defense, batted balls and stuff like that. So it seemed like the back seven really came up and did their job. Well, let me let me tell you, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of people are concerned about the defense. Okay, uh, I was too at first. But this defense has tremendous athletes. And when you have tremendous athletes who can play and run to the football and you have team speed, if you line them up and you don't confuse them and you teach them well, I'm going to tell you what, these kids can play. And, you know, they're following some legends. You know, they're following uh, some kids that got drafted this year in the NFL that the NFL thought were great players. So they got a lot of pressure on them. And I think that when you have that extra pressure and you, and you know you're replacing some players like this, a young team can really rise to the occasion when you have great athletes. Now, you can't rise to the occasion if you can't play. But SC doesn't take a player unless they can play. So the main thing is to motivate them, get them in the right position, teach them how to play. And, and I think that, I think, personally, it was a surprise to everyone, including the defensive staff, on how quickly this defense, with a few moves here and there, has pulled itself together. I'll tell you, uh, uh, you know, honestly, if you, I think this defense can. Not, I'm not going to say or compare it with last year's defense. Now that's a tough thing to do, and I'm not capable of doing that. But I'm going to say it has the potential of being a faster defense. I think the, well, the reason for this is the secondary will be better than last year and has great depth. They they got out of they they got out of spring without anybody getting hurt. Last year they had everybody hurt in the spring. This year they have two deep all the way across and more, and they've got some freshman kids that have emerged that people are saying, wow, now if McAllister was out there too, I'm going to tell you, that gives you some great defensive backs, not mentioning the players that are coming in to school in the fall. So the secondary, I think, is solid. The secondary will be better than it was a year ago. Now you hope they don't make more tackles than a year ago. But I think they can cover more and maybe do some different things because they're more experienced. The defensive front, 
I know they lost a lot of great defensive players in the front. But I'll tell you, the movement of Armstead outside to a defensive end, the way that the defensive tackles played, and Spicer came back, and, and Casey the way he played, and, and everybody. Uh, Griffin Griffin had a good spring, but he's got to learn to play consistent. He's got to learn to turn his motor on on every single play. When he learns to do that, along with Norton, along with Malik Jackson, along with Perry, I'm going to tell you, you're going to throw some quick, speedy defensive ends at your opponent. Faster, I think, than last year. Now, you might say, how can that be? Well, I'm just giving you my opinion from what I saw in the spring. This was a highly recruited group of defensive ends, and they certainly are playing that, and they've all got height. And when you have height, that really makes a difference. When you're 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", coming from the outside, quick moves, beating the tackles off the, off the, off the ball, jumping, uh, blocking down passes, all of that is really going to help. And I think the tackles, if you watch the tackles in the spring, they made a lot of, they made a lot of tackles. Uh, they were playing in their territory. That's what I was worried about the offensive line a minute ago when I said they were a little bit soft. They were penetrating SC's offensive line. And believe me, uh, Casey and these kids are really getting off the football. So I think potentially the front can be as good or better than last year as the season continues. But you're going to have great competition and great players. Now, when you look at the linebackers, you don't have a lot of depth. But you got speed, and you got a guy in the middle. Now, don't get me wrong, Malaluga, second-round draft choice. A lot of people think he should have been a first-round draft choice. We could argue that all day. Let's don't talk about that. Gallipo, and I sat with Gallipo's parents at the scrimmage during the first quarter. He's a technician. He's a middle linebacker. He's an NFL type of player. He's in charge. He doesn't over-pursue. He's great in pass coverage. I mean, yes, he doesn't play out of control. When you play in the middle and you play out of control, it really hurts your team. But you, you, you miss tackles or you penetrate too far or you take chances. Now, Gallipo doesn't do that. And, and he still is, you know, he still runs 4-7, 4-6. I'm not going to talk to everybody about 4-5, four, 4-4, four, four, because that's really screaming. And he has offensive sense, too, because he was a running back in high school also. So he knows how to, the feel of playing in the middle. So I think he's going to be a great addition for the, the, the middle linebacker for the Trojans. He was hurt last year, didn't got a lot, get a lot of turns, but he certainly is a smart enough kid to play. Now you got Morgan and you got Smith. Now these guys are what you call barn burners. They can cover from sideline to sideline, and when you turn them loose on blitzes and so on, they are going to be something else. They're going to have the burners going. Okay, Whenever you can run four 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 five and play linebackers, you don't have to be big. All you have to do is be able to attack, be smart, run people down, go down the line of scrimmage, play your gap areas and watch for uh, flow coming back and so on and don't over-pursue the play. Now, these guys can do that, and we have backups, but these three high school linebackers that are coming in, I think two of them are from Florida. Now, these guys, if you've seen them on the highlight films, they can fly too. So these guys will come in and help. Now, Luther Brown has got to get himself healthy. I mean, this is his senior year. He's got to make himself healthy, get some turns to give Gallipo, Gallipo a, a break, or they've got the Samoan linebacker. Pronounce his name for me. Uh, Wana uh, Kavianga? The third one. 
Juana Cavianga. Uh, yeah, Juana well, Cavianga, yeah. 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 Number He's 35. Gotta come al- yeah. they, they've got to bring another middle linebacker along in case something happens to Gallipo. And they've got to have some backups, too, at, at, at some of the other linebacks. Now, Garrett played, and, and Campbell, I think his name is, the kid from Corona, I thought had a good spring. Uh, got a lot better, played with control and so on. He's maturing. So I really think the defense surprised everyone, surprised even the defensive coaches on how well they played. And I think Franklin, the defensive line coach, did a tremendous job of coaching. He coaches every down, which I like. During the scrimmage, he's in somebody's face every down, or he's teaching them, or he's talking about stripping. He watches every play. He watches his guys, and he's going to really form a great unity with those kids. Now, I don't have to tell you about Ken Norton. He tapes his ankles. He's ready to play. He coaches the linebackers. I mean, if you want an extra down, go ahead and take it. That's his philosophy. So I really like, and Rocky Cito as a young, enthusiastic defensive coordinator, I think will do a great job in working with Pete Carroll in developing the entire defense for USC. And I also like the addition now of Snyder, the defense or the special teams coach. I like the organizational part of this year's coaching staff. You've got special teams coaches. You've added a couple of coaches to your staff that are, I think, improvements. Nothing against any of the coaches that left. But, you know, sometimes you need change. Change is good for everyone. And, and, and I think these changes were good. Everyone was promoted, got good jobs. Everything worked out great for everybody. But I like right now what I see at USC, and I think it's going to be a very interesting season. All right, Coach, uh, we got a question here I want to get to. I know we, we're just about out of time, but I just wanted to see if we get this. I couldn't answer. I couldn't uh, get it on last week because I had the jury duty, so we didn't have you on. But this is from Joe. I know. Thank goodness you. What was I? What were you? You were on my. You were on my trial, right? <laughs> <laughs> convict him. Convict him. Uh, but he want, uh, Joe wanted to know. He said he believes there are 80 players on the spring roster who are juniors or younger. Do you believe? that as good as the 2009 season may be, could 2010 be even better? And are we seeing the beginnings of a repeat of two of the previous championship years? So he just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Oh, always. When a team, when, when, a, when you have so many young players that are playing and they're great athletes, you just get better. You get bigger, faster, quicker, and smarter. That's just what happens. And uh, uh, I think that the, uh, this is really re- realistic. It's a rebuilding year, but when you have players like this, we just went through it uh, in discussing this, uh, you, you can re- rebuild. And I also think the schedule, it's going to be a tough schedule as far as the teams playing on the road. But, you know, for some reason, the Trojans play well on the road. They like to take their show on the road. And when they take their show on the road and go into – hostile areas and, and play at Oregon and play at these different places, I think they take the game a little bit more serious. Now, last year, everybody's going to say, okay, Oregon State, okay, Oregon State, you're right. That was a – I don't even want to use the term, okay? It was a mess. But I think when they play those type of teams and it's a sellout and they come on the field and they know everybody's there to watch them and you silence the crowd and so on, what a great feeling. What a great feeling to come out and take the crowd right out of the game in somebody's arena. So I think that's what Coach Pete Carroll, and he's very good at this, is going to sell this team. And you're not supposed to ever lose at home. You don't lose at home. You don't come into my home on 
and invade my property and and beat us at home. So this is going to be a very interesting year. It really is going to be a very, very interesting year to see how these young players react to all of that and, and go back to Columbus with 95 people there at Columbus and take on Ohio State. And uh, I really believe going into that game, you, you won't believe me, I think the Trojans would be a, a six-point, seven-point favorite. Wow. And, and you might say, how can that be? I just think they've got so much team speed that I, I, I just think that, uh, well, you know, that's just my feeling. But, again, you can hear me on the pregame show, and I might change my mind by then. <laughs> who knows? It, it might be 10 by then. How's that? Yeah, well, we got many weeks to talk about all the games. We'll preview. We'll pick a week. We'll do preview every game. We'll talk all during the offseason with Coach Hyde and the summer workouts. But for now, that's the, the wrap-up for the spring. Coach, thanks for uh, sharing your insights on that. Well, thank you very much. It's been a great spring. And, uh now let's see how recruiting goes, right? Yeah, a lot of recruiting, May evaluation. we got a lot more. We're going to be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Winky. We'll talk a little bit more about the draft since we didn't get to it this segment. We'll talk some more spring football. Thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some NFL draft and more spring football with USAFootball.com beat writer Dan Weike. How are you doing today, Dan? Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Glad to, glad to be on the podcast. I'm very excited to be talking about the end of spring football, obviously, as anybody who was at every practice would know. I think by the time it comes to the end, you're excited about that. And obviously the NFL draft is just a great time of the year. So got a lot of good stuff to talk about today. Lots of fun stuff. I wanted to get to a question because we do like answering everybody's questions. Um, if you have a question for us, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. This question is from Assad. It's actually a two-part question. Um, under Coach Bates, will there be more deep passes by the quarterback, Dan? Um, I think a lot of it depends on who the quarterback is. If it's Matt Barkley, I think certainly. I mean, why wouldn't you want to stretch the field with him? He's got such a strong arm. Um, and I do think they'll go down the field some with Corp. I don't know if I'd say more. It's hard to tell because, you know, they went down the field a lot at the start of last year, and then they kind of tapered off as they kind of molded Sanchez into more of a game manager. If um, that was a Pete Carroll decision, which something tells me it probably was, then I, you know, I don't think they're going to go down the field a ton. I think they'll, they'll with Aaron Corp, they'll do the underneath stuff. They'll use his legs, and as the safeties and the cornerbacks creep up, I think maybe they'll take a shot or two here or there. Um, Corp can throw the deep ball. I think he looked good doing the deep throwing the deep ball over the course of the spring, even though it kind of took him a while to kind of let loose with it. Um, but I think a lot of it it just depends on who the quarterback is, and the other part of it is if the offensive line is protecting well. You can you can run deep routes from underneath routes, and you can give the quarterback time to make his progressions and, and and to look at you know if it's Ronald Johnson or Damian Williams or whoever streaking down the field, that's not open. You know if you the quarterback, especially Corp, who can maybe buy a little more time, 
you know, then can can look around at, at the tight ends or at the running backs next. Um, I'm just not 100% sure how many times they're going to just go for broke. That just doesn't seem in the Pete Carroll kind of philosophy offensively. Makes sense. All right. And then the uh, second part of the question, uh, very young defense. Do you think they're going to be able to contain and stop the big plays of offenses that have running quarterbacks like Terrell Pryor or Jake Locker, uh, guys like that? Because it has been kind of a problem in the past with the Vince Youngs and Dennis Dixons of the world. Um, I do think they'll be okay, um, mostly because I think they've got more team speed on defense than they've had, um, particularly at linebacker that you know, with, with Malcolm Smith and Michael Morgan, those are two like blazing fast guys. Then you add in the fact that Taylor Mays might be playing more in the box. I think they'll be able to contain quarterbacks. And then you look at their defensive ends, Armand Armstead, great in pursuit. Um, you know, Malik Jackson, if he's out there is fast. Um, Everson Griffin is, I mean, crazy athletic. And I do think that they'll be all right. Um, I think they'll be a little more disciplined in the middle with Gallipo, where they can maybe do some more stuff with spy, or, or, you know, where they could have him spy the quarterback if they wanted to, or they can do different things like that against, you know, Jake Locker and uh, who's Terrell Pryor. Yeah, both of those guys are big, strong guys. And the one thing I would be concerned about, um, not so much with Malcolm Smith, but Michael Morgan has to finish tackles better. That's something that we saw last year when he played. And I think we'll see, I think we saw it again this spring in the scrimmages, is that Mike Morgan – is almost always the first guy to the ball when it's run at him and the strong side. I mean, he's there faster than anybody else, but he doesn't wrap up particularly well. Um, guys tend to run through his arm tackles. Maybe it's because of, maybe that's the downside of his long, like kind of lanky frame, is that you know he's not he he can't finish tackles the way other guys can. Like he, he won't he won't finish the way Cushing did. So I think that what's going to have to happen is that he's going to have to get there and he's going to have to slow guys down long enough for other guys to come and kind of take care of the, the, the tackle. If that doesn't happen, I mean, look for, look for those guys to maybe gain an extra two or three yards each time they run to the strong side because that first tackle is just going to be incomplete. All right, cool. Well, thanks to Saad for that question. Again, if you have questions, drop us an email. Good question. Yeah. Podcast at uscfootball.com. There's no such thing as bad questions. Just, What's the, what to say to stupid people or something like that? No, no. But there's a good question. We we always get good questions in here. And we like to answer them. Dan likes to answer them especially. So if you have questions for Dan, just say it in the email. This is for Dan. We want to hear what he said. Um, Dan, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk some NFL draft. I'll give a quick recap of where the Trojans went. Eleven Trojans were drafted, including five on the first day. That's the most of any school. Last year, USC had ten including seven on the first day. That's the first two rounds. That was also the most of any school. So 21 guys drafted by NFL teams over the last two years. Uh, Mark Sanchez went number five to the Jets. That was a highly publicized one. Also in the first round, Brian Cushing to the Texans and Clay Matthews to the Packers. Uh, Ray Maluga dropped to the second round, a little bit of a surprise, went to the Bengals. He's joining Keith Rivers there. Feeney Moala moved up into the second round. He went to the Colts. Patrick Turner, kind of a surprise to go into the third round. I thought he might go around there, three, four, maybe five, but he went to the Dolphins. Uh, Kuluka Mayava and Kyle Moore both went in the fourth round. Mayava to the Browns and Moore to the Buccaneers. And David Beeler, uh, the kicker, went to the Cowboys in the fifth round. Uh, Kerry Harris and Kevin Ellison, both secondary guys, both went in the sixth round. Harris to the Bills and Ellison to the Chargers. Dan, I guess what, what were your over thoughts on how the, where the players went? Any surprises there? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise was probably Maluga falling to the second round. I know we were together on draft day driving back from the huddle, 
and neither of us thought that he would get picked behind Cushing and Matthews. Cushing, maybe, yes. I thought he would get picked ahead of Clay Matthews. Um, I think, you know, in my kind of draft, post-draft research, I found that teams seem to be concerned with uh, Maluga being a two-down linebacker. And then another thing I had read was that some of his off-the-field issues, stuff that he, it seemed like he had gotten past in, in college, kind of might have snuck up and hurt him and hurt his draft stock. Although I think going to Cincinnati, playing alongside Keith Rivers, I don't think it'll be a bad thing for him. I think that'll actually be a good spot for him, and he'll get to play right away. Um, Patrick Turner, I thought was shocking. Um, you, if, I don't, I don't think anybody thought he'd go in the third round. I mean, except for you, apparently. Smart yeah, yeah see. Mel Kuyper, <laughs> Mel Kuyper didn't have him drafted. I mean, he didn't think he'd get picked. And you know, that's a guy that the Dolphins. I mean. Could have maybe gotten in the fourth round. Could have maybe gotten in the fifth round. And that's where you kind of judge draft winners and losers is, you know, could they have gotten the same player later? Could they have traded down and added picks if they really wanted him in the third round? Could they have traded down 15 picks and probably and taken him potentially? You know, I would say probably a pretty good shot at it. But, you know, they got the guy they wanted. I mean, when you see a guy who is like kind of a reach, I guess, which is what I would call Patrick Turner in the third round, a little bit of a reach, it means Miami really like saw something that they really liked. They think that he can help them soon. Or else you wouldn't do that. Um, the he had a, he had a really pick. good pro day. I mean, he had a nice pro day. He had a really good one-handed catch when Sanchez was throwing the ball. And, you know, he's big and strong. He's not like 6'4 and a half, 6'5. He's like 6'5 and a couple eights, 6'5. I mean, he's, he's big. And, you know, I, I think the fact that he didn't have the same kind of hype that some of the other big receivers at USC had, he was more kind of under the radar. I don't think they, they thought he would end up being the diva like some of those other guys were. And, uh, you know, they, they decided they want to take a chance on him. Yeah, like I said, I mean, clearly they really wanted him. And they showed, I mean, they showed that by taking him there. I mean, just sort of like, you know, the Raiders really wanted Darius Haywood Bay. So that's why they took him, you know, where they took him. I mean, whereas everybody else kind of thought he was an end-of-the-first-round guy. I mean, that's who they wanted. So they went out and they went out and drafted him. You can't fault the team for doing that. I mean, the only question is, should they have traded down maybe to try to get him? Um, the interesting pick um, – well, here, let's start with this. Well, what was your favorite pick of the draft? Uh, well, we talked about this before a little bit. I mean, I think – you know, I was happy for Mark Sanchez. I think he, you know, he's going to do really well in New York. I was really, really happy, though, for David Beeler, a guy that was kind of the story of the NFL Combine as a kicker where – you know, we had him on the podcast actually afterwards, and he talked all about it where, you know, everyone was lifting, and then the, it was kicker's time, so all the scouts left the room, like 80% of the people left, and then he ends up putting up bench press numbers that beats a lot of offensive linemen, you know, and he ran a 40-time faster than a lot of the linebackers and just showed that he was an – if he was a safety or something, he would have had a really good combine, but he did it as a kicker. So the fact that the the Cowboys, you know, took a chance on him in the fifth round, uh, I, I think it's really good for him. And, you know, he actually told me at the – he came to practice over the weekend, I think it was Thursday before the huddle, and he said, you know, I'm really talking with the Cowboys. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool, you know, and then they ended up drafting him. So I'm like, you know, I'm really happy for him. But, you know, you had mentioned before they do have a young kicker there that, that that's really good. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with his situation. Yeah, they have Nick Folk from Arizona who's, you know, 24 years old, um, was 20-22 last year, good on kickoffs. Um you know, the thing, though, that I think will be kind of interesting will be, you know, will they decide, I mean, do they keep Beeler as a kickoff specialist? Do they keep Beeler at all? Do they want to use two roster spots on a kicker? 
Um, I would not be shocked to see David Beeler on a different NFL roster once the NFL season begins. I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's an NFL kicker. I mean, he can help a team instantly on kickoffs because of his leg. The question is, you know, I mean, why would the Cowboys take him when they when they seemingly have a young kicker in place who's a pretty good young kicker? It's just a curious selection in that regards for me. I mean, again, like you, David Beeler, great guy. I think he's great. I think he's super nice. Really happy he got picked. Um, it was just kind of curious where he got selected and to who I thought the best pick um, you know, obviously the Sanchez and New York thing from is going to be a marketing juggernaut. I mean, it's already begun. Um, but the best pick I thought out of everybody else, as far as going to a team that had a need okay. and being able to instantly fill that need, Philly Moala, yeah. Indianapolis. They have a need at tackle. He's going to go in. I would not be surprised if he starts right away on a team that's capable of making a run at the Super Bowl. And, and, and if they do go deep in the playoffs, a lot of it's going to be because of Philly Moala. I think that was one of the better picks of the entire draft. He was a guy who could have very easily gone in the first round as of last year was projected by some people to be a top five, top 10 type of pick. And maybe he had a little bit of a quiet year, but I mean, we saw him play every day. I mean, he took double teams. Like he opened up stuff for the rest of the linebackers. He opened up stuff for the defensive ends. Mawala, that, that to me, that was the best, best USC pick of all those guys. And I think getting Kevin Ellis in the yeah. next round, I think I, is a tremendous value. Yeah. I was going to mention him next. If you weren't going to say Fila, you got to say Kevin, because he is a ball player. And I think, you know, he didn't have the best 40 times and he was coming off in injuries and stuff. I think he's going to get into their mini camp and impress people. And I really find him, you know, he'll be able to find a roster spot. If, he's, if not with the Chargers somewhere, but I think he's going to be able to come in and they'll, he'll be one of those picks. Like, wow, you got that guy in the sixth round, not like a Tom Brady. I got that guy in the sixth round, but someone that you should have got, you know, could have easily gone in the second or third round. Yeah, I mean, the guy, I, you know, I mean, we've well documented my, my professional sports allegiances on this show. Um, the Bears had one pick after um, the Chargers in the sixth round, and I was talking to my friends and my father, and, we had, and I was like, I hope they draft Ellison. They need a safety. I hope they draft Ellison. Um, Ellison won one pick before him, and sure enough, the Bears took a safety with the next pick, El Afalava from Oregon State. I totally butchered that name. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, they, I mean, so they took a safety who, in the same conference, who by all accounts, I mean, wasn't as good as Kevin Ellison. So I think they were maybe looking at Ellison there in the sixth round, and I thought he would have gone into the Bears and he could have played from day one. I mean, he's a very motivated individual. He's the kind of guy too who's going to use this kind of sixth round slide or whatever as motivation for, you know, probably the rest of his professional career. I mean, he's got no problems carrying a grudge. I mean, we talked to him at Pro Day, and, and, you know, when people talked, I asked him about playing outside linebacker. He said, those people are idiots. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's like, I'm not not an outside linebacker. I'm a safety. Those people are idiots. And maybe that hurt his draft stock. Maybe his unwillingness to maybe play outside linebacker maybe was something that kind of hurt his stock, too. But I think he, I think he's an NFL safety, so does Pete Carroll. Yeah, and it's just the way he plays. He's a football player. He didn't have some of the measurables. And I think some of it being injured kind of hurt the the measurables that might have been questionable. Maybe got a little bit worse. And but I, I think he's going to do well uh, at the next level. I mean, I like if I had to pick between him and you know you could say Kerry Harris or even like a Kyle Morris. I think I think Ellison probably has a, a better chance of succeeding in the NFL than the guys that were drafted ahead of him. A bunch of the guys. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a better shot than succeeding than Patrick Turner, personally. 
I mean, Petrushner has to show me that he can be consistent. I, I haven't seen it. I, I saw that he played pretty well his senior year, did some nice things, but, I mean, my understanding it was up until that point, he never really blossomed the way he did, you know. Maybe he was just a late bloomer, who knows. But I think Kevin Ellison's a football player. I think he's got those intangibles that don't show up on some. Here's how you know a guy's a good pick in the sixth round, is when they draft him and they actually talk about the sixth-round pick on the coverage, like yeah. extensively. You know, usually at that point in time, I mean, those guys have been on TV for hours. They're talking to, you know, the you know NFL GMs or head coaches or guys that were picked earlier, talking about winners and losers. They showed Kevin Ellis in the highlights. And, I mean, people might forget. I mean, he's a huge hitter. Yeah. Just a <laughs> massive hitter. You know, I mean, just destroys people. And, like, he puts himself in those positions. I mean, yeah, I mean – that was against Cal. That was Deshaun Jackson, right? That he just clobbered. Yeah, uh-huh. And, like, pretty much took him out of the game oh. and took Cal out of the game, yeah. Okay. How much faster is Deshaun Jackson than Kevin Ellison if he lined him up and raced him? A lot. And what happened on that play? Like, yeah. Deshaun Jackson, like, probably could have been stretchered off the field yeah. if he wasn't. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, so he puts himself in the right positions. Maybe he's the kind of guy who needs to be in a talented defense. He might need that around him. So he, it might be about finding a fit for him. But I think if you put him in the right situations, I mean, he he can be a very good NFL football player. That's what's so tricky about this, too. I mean, it's great that 11, that 11 USC players got which is just phenomenal for the university. But the question is, you know, do they go to the right places, the places that can that, that can help them succeed right away, you know? And I, I think that's important. I think when you look at, you know, stuff like that when they talk about, you know, Mike Williams or, or Dwayne Jarrett or those guys that were quote-unquote busts, you know, how much of that is just not going to the right situation and not pairing those guys in, in, in the right kind of offenses, having those guys learn different systems, stuff like that. And that's a big part of it. I think that you have to go to the right kind of place and you have to have the right kind of people around you to succeed in the NFL. Yeah, I think it definitely gives you a better chance to succeed. But a lot of those players kind of brought that stuff on themselves too. So it's I think it's probably a combination, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's much better chance of success. I mean, I almost would like Sanchez is in a situation where there's no established quarterback. I almost, for him, it might be better to be in a place where there's a guy that, you know, it's a little bit older and, you know, he's not going to be around all that long, but he can hold the clipboard for a year. I mean, but who knows? It might work out. Sanchez, you know, might not start as a starter, but they got a couple of young quarterbacks and he ends up taking over halfway through the season. Who knows? You know, it should be, uh, It'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I think a, a lot of the USC fans, especially lately, if they don't like the NFL, they start liking it now. You see on the message boards like, oh, I'm going to root for Cincinnati now or I'm going to root for the Jets or whatever just because of the the USC fans. So that's why draft day is so cool because it brings together like these two worlds of football. There's people that like both, but there's some people that only like NFL and some people that only like college. But for at least a weekend and leading up to it, you have all the NFL people talking about college. And all the college people kind of have that residual effect talking about the NFL where their favorite players went. Do you think Sanchez is going to be a darling in New York like he's kind of been right away? Do you think he'll be able to handle that first bad game out there? Because I think he he kind of wears his, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. I mean, good or bad or whatever, you know, you know how Mark Sanchez is feeling essentially just about at any point in time. How How is that going to play in New York, do you think? Oh no! I mean, they'll they'll grill him if he's. I mean, they love him now, but if he's terrible for a couple of games, I mean, they'll be all over him. And it's just that's the way it is. No matter who you are, I mean, 
Santa Claus, whatever. I mean, not not that it's, we're not going to tell them they're Philadelphia Philly. fans, but I, Philly, yeah. you ate Santa Claus. I know, they, but they yeah, they booed him and yeah, threw snowballs at him and stuff. But yeah, you know, anyone there, it doesn't matter how popular you are. You can, you know, if you if you're a godlike status like a Derek Jeter, yeah, that's one thing. But you know, just because you're the darling now doesn't mean it's going to be that way. But I think Mark Sanchez's personality, which is what won a lo- over a lot of those GMs, um, I think that's going to help him get through this because he, he is a likable guy. He's a likable guy. I think he'll be able to, you know, shoulder the responsibility. So if he has a bad game, he'll take it upon himself and 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 blame himself. And I think, you know, the media will kind of respect him for that. They won't necessarily give him a break all the time. They'll be hard on him. But I think he's got the kind of personality that he's not going to wilt under all the pressure of the, the New York media. It will be tough on him, but I think he can handle it. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, I said Tom had booze A-Rod. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> think about it. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they boo one of the best baseball players who has ever played. I mean, enhance or not, whatever. But, I mean, A-Rod is, I mean, his numbers are as good, if not better, than anybody else's ever. And that and they boo him. So, I mean, like, you know, Sanchez has got, I think I think it's an uphill battle. I mean, like you said, right now, he's in that kind of honeymoon period where, I mean, they, they it's like, it's like meeting, like, you know, it's like they're meeting him for the first time and they're like, oh my, you know, he's, you know, he's good looking, he's funny, he's charismatic, you know, oh, this is our quarterback, you know, he's a franchise quarterback. And, you know, we'll have to see what he does on the field. I mean, you know, rookie quarterbacks traditionally don't play that well. No. And then, you know, and Pete Carroll would be the first person to say that rookie quarterbacks who come out early definitely don't play that well. Now, I think Sanchez studies um, you know, his tail off and, and he's going to do everything he can to know that offense backwards and forwards. And, and I, I, you know, if I had to, if I had to bet right now, I think he'll, will be successful. I don't know if he leaves into the playoffs this year, but I, I feel like he's, he'll be a good NFL quarterback. And I do think he's got a strong enough arm to, to play in New York where it, get, where it can get windy. Yeah. They got, I mean, the, the thing with A-Rod, I mean, Jeter was kind of like a homegrown kind of product thing and he kind of grew up there. You, you, it's way too early to say this, but Sanchez has the same kind of, uh, the same kind of situation where he's going to be like this, you know, second coming guy coming in, boom. If he starts off and does well and, and has a proven track track record there over the years, he could get to that, you know, no one would ever boo him status eventually, you know, um, starting off there just because he would have been like the, the the pick. They traded up to get him. This is the guy we wanted for the Jets fans, and then as he grows and grows in the system, I think he can establish himself there where he would become almost untouchable if he has a lot of success over the years. Like, you know, pretty much Jeter could do anything right now, and it doesn't matter. They would, he would, they would never boo him. But, you know, Sanchez has a long way to go that way, but because he's starting off his career there, I think he's got a chance to progress himself and get a career similar to what, like, Jeter's been doing. Yeah, New York does tend to embrace its own, um, maybe more so than any other city. And, uh, you know... And in a weird way, because Sanchez was drafted by the Jets, um, you know, he's now become, you know, one of them right, right away. It wasn't like he started at the Chiefs or, you know, or anything like that. It was this big free agent signing like A-Rod or a trade or whatever. Um, you know, this is who they they had, and they're going to get a chance to watch him grow. And I, I, I think he will make big strides this year. I think he most certainly will play. Um, I don't know how good the Jets are going to be, but, I mean, I think he'll play. I mean, he's in a tough division. Um, he'll get a couple wake-up calls. I think he's going to get hit more than he did um, at USC, where he was fairly well protected. Um, and it's just a matter of how he handles all of that. And, and I think until he actually gets out there, it's, it's really hard to project. 
All right. Well, uh, we don't have much time left, but I wanted to, because we're going to bring in Gerard Martinez and talk a little recruiting. we got a bunch of recruiting questions we wanted him to answer. Uh, but real quick, was just overall impressions of the spring. I mean, we talked a lot. You know, every week on the podcast we talk about the spring, but it's over now. What any uh, you know big thoughts there coming out of your that big brain of yours, Dan? I mean, Jethro Franklin was. People always talk about Taylor Mays was the best recruit, best recruit they signed. Well, Gerard always talks about it like that. Um, it might have been Jethro Franklin. Might have been the biggest thing that they did. Not only did he come in and close on guys like Devon Kennard and secure those commitments, but that defensive line looks 100% different than they did last year. Um, they're playing with so much more speed and energy and, and I mean, guys that were in doghouses before and are making plays now. And it's, it, I think that was probably the story of the spring for me was the defensive line. I mean, they look like just a juggernaut. I mean, they made things hard on the offense the entire spring and not just rushing. I mean, they rushed the passer particularly well, but I didn't feel like the ground game really got off the way it needed to. And, and kind of, you know, I mean, look at Stephon Johnson's numbers from the huddle and Curtis McNeil's, you know, Mark Tyler did well, but that's mostly against the twos. I mean, they, they dominated those guys, Johnson and McNeil against the ones. I mean, that defense is good. And it, it starts up front and, and those guys, if they can play at this level throughout the year, USC is going to be in great shape. It looks a lot looser, and I, I mean, I, maybe it's like almost like a golf swing where if you have someone that's really hesitant and they're trying to just hit the ball, it just doesn't look all that athletic. They're kind of the same motions and stuff, but it's not. They're not like following through. And then if you just let them take a practice swing, no ball there, and you see this much more athletic winding motion and it comes through and a great follow through and everything. It looks like the defensive players on the line are following through. They're just, it's just they're getting it now and they're just making plays where. I don't know. It's hard to say, but just last year, they just didn't seem to be doing that. There was a little hesitation. There was something not quite right. And now it's just this smooth athletic play, and they're making plays all the time. And it's just, like you said, it's 100% different than last year. Boy, you talking about a golf swing. <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, yikes. But no, um, I think you're right, actually. Um, I, I think that maybe it was sort of like, you know, they were, I don't want to say afraid to make mistakes or they just never really knew where they stood. Um, it, it's kind of come out that Nick Holt was kind of up and down. David Watson, those two guys were kind of like mercurial, I guess we could say with like their attitudes and they never really knew where they stood or what, if you know, they go to practice and they don't know, are these guys going to be pissed today? Are they going to be fired up today? I mean, they didn't know. Jethro has been pretty constant. Um, and I do think that they've got, he's been very technical with them. And I think that that's helped. I think, you know, usually when you when you started and, and you do that, lay that technical base, things might not come together so quickly. Well, they came together really quickly for this defensive line. I don't know how they don't get better going into the going into camp. I, I think you you look for them to be one of the, the more athletic, accomplished units in the conference. I think, I mean, they should be as good as any front four. I mean, I'm going to go out. I think they might be one of the best front fours in the country. I'll say that right now. They stay right. healthy. We'll write that down, uh, April 29, 2009, if the front <laughs> Dan says one of the best defensive lines in the country. So anyone else, just write us back if they end up stinking in the fall, and just let you know. We'll let Dan, we'll call Dan out on that. But I, I agree with him. I think they could really be that way. Even though you lost a lot of talent, and you see some guys go in the draft, the way this unit's playing, it's going to be better than last year. Yeah, it's crazy to think that, but I mean, they're, they're, I mean, so, we didn't even talk about their depth. I mean. Look at a guy like Wes Horton. 
How many plays did Wes Horton make this spring? Tons. Yeah, tons. And you're going to have like you Kennard know? and Hebron, Hebron Van Gupo coming in. So it's there's a lot of depth there. It will be this will be a fun line to watch in the fall. It's going to fill out. It's kind of you know it's like it just graduated from high school and then it's going to you know go to college and fill out a little bit when those guys come in the fall. And you I think it's going to be a really impressive line. But Dan, we got to go because we got to get to Gerard. Uh, thanks for sharing all your uh, insights. All right. <laughs> we got to talk recruiting, man. Everybody loves recruiting. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm just teasing. Yeah. Thanks for your time. And uh, everyone else, we'll be back. This 30 seconds, we'll be back talking with Gerard Martinez. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast, and we're going to talk recruiting with uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me. No problem. We've got a lot of questions, so let's get right to them. Again, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you have a question for us, you can send us in. Uh, first one, does USC have a chance with Chris Martin? Chris Martin. Uh it's going to be a tough one. He's committed to Notre Dame right now, and uh, there was a lot of talk as to him actually transferring to a school in New Jersey, to Hun School, and that would have worked out well for Notre Dame because Notre Dame definitely has some ties to that high school, and it being in New Jersey on the East Coast, where Charlie Weiss is from, I'm sure that uh, it would have been much easier for them to kind of lock up his commitment and get him away from the West Coast, get him away from any USC influences. That's not going to happen. Um, I've heard he might be going to school in Arizona. I've heard that he might be staying in state uh, in California still. It seems like uh, there's some issues with the family and a little tug and pull with him. And, uh, you know, if he stays on the West Coast, USC is going to have a shot to continue to recruit him. But USC is going to have to project him also. They're going to have to look at him and say, is he going to be a defensive end in college or is he going to be a linebacker? If he's going to be a linebacker, and this is a kid who's, you know, a legitimate 6'4", almost 6'5", about 225 pounds, very lanky. If he can play linebacker, I think USC continues to recruit him, and they still have a shot at him if he stays on the West Coast. If he develops into a defensive end, they might back off of him a little because they have some guys that uh, I think are probably rated higher on their board right now at defensive end. Uh, you've got Ronald Powell. You've got Jackson Jeffcoat. You've got a lot of guys out there that are really good defensive ends this year. So I, I think that's going to you know really play into it. And where he stays in terms of high school is going to play into it. Um, Stanford's really the school that a lot of people got to look out for also if he stays on the West Coast. Uh, if, if Harbaugh stays at Stanford, they've done a really good job recruiting, and I could see them getting Chris Martin. All right, cool. Uh, next one up. There's a two-parter from Kevin. First part, do you think USC can get another tight end recruit in this class for a total of three? Yes, uh, as a short answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think they can. Um, I think they're going to try. I think, uh, you know, with them only really, they're only, you know, returning, um, you know, two top tight ends in 2010. Two guys that have real tight end experience, and that's Red Ellison and Blake Ailes. And I say experience, Blake Ailes hasn't really played at all, but he's going to be a guy that they look 
to, and, and they really have a lot of uh, hopes for uh, in terms of being a guy that's productive and contribute to the, uh, for the team. Um, they're going to lose Anthony McCoy, and you have Mike uh, Reardon coming in, and Mike Reardon's kind of a converted lineman. We really don't know what we're going to get out of Mike Reardon as a tight end. I mean, that's the kind of thing where you kind of just have to take a step back and let him play a little bit. He played uh, tight end in high school, but at this point kind of seems a little bit more like a blocker. Don't know if he's going to be able to contribute uh, all around uh, for the SC offense. So you're only, recruit, you're only returning three guys. It's really kind of like two and a half. Um, average tight ends for a college is really six that you have on the depth chart. So USC needs three guys. So really, I think in terms of numbers, that's what they're going to be shooting for. And I really think they can. The two guys left on the board right now that have offers um, are, are uh, Delvin Jones is actually a kind of a quasi-athlete. We don't know if he's going to play tight end. He wants to play receiver in college. He's 6'6", about 225, 230 pounds from Miami, um, big-time talent. And he's a guy that USC is going to continue to try to get out of South Bay. It's not going to be easy. Florida's on him, too. Um, you know, we'll kind of see how that process plays out. I think it's going to be a long process, and it's nothing to, to necessarily worry about right now because he's a guy that talks about really committing more towards signing day, and there's a lot of in-state pressure for him. Uh, but he's going to be a guy that's a possibility, that at least they've offered, that could play tight end. And obviously Christian Thomas, uh, 6'3", 240-pound, Army All-American up there at Palmdale is going to be the other guy. And he likes USC a lot, but, you know, UCLA is going to be there. Cal's a dark horse. We've talked about him in the past. But there's two guys there, and they, and they have a shot at both. And I think USC is really going to work to try to get that third guy. All right. And the second part from Kevin's question, will USC offer Tevin McDonald and Kenny Stills? That's a tough question. Um, I like both those guys. Me personally, and I'm not on the staff, but I like both those guys. I think they're the kind of players that are local, that could end up being at other Pac-10 schools uh, that end up hurting you. Um, those kind of guys that are easy to overlook because of out-of-state talent, but really solid players. And we saw McDonald down at the Army All-American uh, Junior Combine, and he was playing corner. And, you know, he was pretty much as good as anybody there. Uh, there was a lot of corners there, and, and he did a really good job. And he's legitimate, about 5'11", he's about 180 pounds, and obviously he's got the great bloodlines. He's the brother of T.J. McDonald, five-star safety from last year, and he's the son of Tim McDonald, um, who played at USC and played in the NFL for many years. So I like him. Whether USC really goes on him in his corner, because they've got some other guys right now that they've offered, guys like Demetrius Wright, who just got an offer uh, last week at the uh, Trojan Huddle, They've got some guys who are a little more physical that they seem to be liking, who have a little more height. But I would I would say that there's a good shot that Kevin McDonald could still win um, a scholarship offer at one of the camps. Same thing goes with Kenny Stills, um, another guy that you know you can overlook him for some of these out of state guys that you know are the, the big time you know rivals 100, rivals 250 guys, four star. But there's a guy that's local that would I think really jump at the shot to go to USC. He's got you know really good height, about six one and a half, six two. Uh, he's a little slender, but he's fast and he can get vertical. And he had something like 70, 80 balls catch last year as a junior. So he's a guy who's been consistent and has been productive in high school as well. So both those guys, I think that there's definitely a shot for them to still get offers. Um, you know, I can't say whether they're going to get them for sure or not, but they're camp guys, and I've seen them play, and I've seen them capable of, of putting up the kind of performance that can get you an offer at the Rising Stars camp. All right. The next one's kind of a philosophy thing on recruiting from Terry, and I'll try to paraphrase this, but paraphrase this. He said from his count there's 48 offers out to uh, class of 2010 guys. His question basically is, you know, you put out a lot of offers. You put out more offers then there are actually scholarships available. What prevents 
from happening where like it's everything's filled up and there's still really big names out there that have a chance to sign with your school, uh, but they don't get to because you kind of ran out of scholarships. He said that he didn't think this ever happens, but what prevents that kind of stuff from happening? Wow, that is a philosophical question. That's yeah. like the Nietzsche of recruiting philosophy questions. <laughs> um, hard to explain even in question. Um, it really, it, 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 there's, a, there's a strategy that goes along with it. I mean, you have to kind of gauge, is this a guy that we're going to offer that's going to commit right away? The first thing you got to figure out, you know, if you like a kid, but you don't like him a lot and you're not ready or prepared to take his commitment right then and there, you have to kind of hold the offer and kind of go, well, okay, let's see. You know, we, we don't want to just jump yet at this guy when we have some other guys on the board. Um, and there's a little bit of placating that goes along with the recruits and kind of engaging them and also saying, you know what, we want to offer you. Um, but, you know, we know you want to take your time and we know you want to take your visits and you should do that. Um, and at the same time, the schools are kind of taking a step back going, okay, we want to also take our time and we also want to see other recruits. So it's a little bit of a, a happy medium there. There's, a, there's some schools out there that will offer uh, 80 guys. I mean, they'll offer 80 guys before it's even March. And, you know, Florida's kind of notorious for it. Tennessee's kind of done it. There's some schools out there that, I mean, I think Florida last year had like 85 scholarship offers out by May and only had like two commitments. And you wonder, how in the heck can you have that many offers out? And, you you know, Florida's obviously a big-time program. It's, it's a school that a lot of guys would probably want to commit to, especially in the South. How can they only have two commitments? There's got to be more guys out of those 80-something offers that wanted to commit. Well, the, 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 the catch there with Florida is that you have to meet Urban Meyer's wife in person to commit. So while all those guys can have scholarship offers and call them verbal offers, call them committable offers, whatever, I mean, obviously they're not committable if you can't meet Urban Meyer's mice. Uh, you have to go down there to the school at a camp or whatever situation, and she has to be there in order for you to meet her. So that's a little bit of a catch. Schools can get in the door and say, hey, we want to offer you a scholarship. We really love you. And the kid says, hey, coach, I want to commit. Well, you know what? you got to meet my wife first. Uh, and she's not going to be in town until maybe June <laughs> or July. And if they watch you on tape or they see you at another camp, and all of a sudden you're, well, we offered this guy a little early. Maybe, you know, wifey doesn't show up that day. So it, that, you know, I've seen schools do that. Uh, Mac Brown doesn't take commitments uh, from Texas um, until he's met uh, recruits in person. So there's a lot of little, you know, catches with these offers. I mean, we try at USCfootball.com to be very explicit in, in, in what kind of offer a kid has. This kid has a verbal offer. This kid has a written offer. If you have a written offer from USC, uh, nine times out of ten, it's a committable offer. Um, so, it, But it's also with USC, they're offering a lot of guys that, that, that are out of state early and getting their foot in the door with them, and those guys out of state are not necessarily ready to commit right away. They love USC, and they may be very interested in USC, but kids tend to realize, and their parents tend to realize, hey, you know what, we got to actually see this school in person before we can just jump at a commitment. So um, it, it, it evens out, it balances, and you really never see um, a school – fill up on commitments earlier than they want to. It just doesn't really happen. There's ki there are schools definitely that fill up on commitments fast. I mean, Texas uh, is, is already probably in the 20s. I haven't checked uh, lately, but, you know, there's a school that always seems to have almost a full class by the time it's September, and there's some schools that really do aim for that. USC's just not one of them. All right, cool. That Thanks for the question, Terry. And then the last one. Uh, before we got to go here, it's uh, from Justin in London, England. So we got a uh, London. Wow, he's a yes. poke. From over the pond, uh, mind the gap here. Okay, so with uh, 
There being such a small outside linebacker class as far as size is concerned, will USC go hard after Christian Jones from Florida, Justin Macklin from Tennessee, and Patrick Swilling from Louisiana? I can't see any of the in-state linebackers fitting into the Clay Matthews, Brian Cushing, meaning big mold. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to get those 6'4", you know, 220-plus guys and, and get them in, and, and they end up being 6'4", 240, 250. Just not a lot of guys like that. But, you know, we wrote um, a recruiting op piece, uh, it was like last year, I think, that they kind of talked about you know, what the prototype uh, linebacker for the NFL is. We're looking at the guys who had made the Pro Bowl last six years, and we actually went through and averaged their size, and you know, really was surprising because the guys are only about six foot and a half, six one, uh, about two hundred thirty-two to two hundred forty pounds. So, the truth of the matter is, the guys that, that really tend to be more of the prototype NFL linebackers look like Malcolm Smith more than they look like Brian Cushing. Uh, now, having said that. Ken Norton likes to recruit linebackers that look like Ken Norton. So they're definitely likes to go out there <laughs> and they want those guys that, that, that have the size and have the speed. I mean, you want it both and you recruit for that. Uh, there are not a lot of guys in state that we've seen thus far that have that. So yes, they will go after, um, these out of state kids. Uh, Macklin, they've offered, um, they've offered Christian Jones. Um, they've offered a, a few guys, uh, Luke, uh, who's, who's a little on the shorter side, but a, a big guy, about 235, 240 pounds. Um, they're going after those those outside linebacker type guys that are out of state. Seems like that's where the size is. Uh, Patrick Swilling doesn't have a scholarship offer yet. He's actually being recruited more, I think, by USC basketball um, than football, but that may change uh, in the future when they get some eyes on him. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely those guys are going to go out of state for uh, in-state guys uh, are, are like Hayes Pollard and, and um you know, Tony Jefferson, who's actually going to be recruited as a safety now. Um, it seems like uh, you're not getting a lot of guys that are over that six foot, uh, uh, six one range. All right. Well, thanks, Gerard. Uh, I know we had a short, so unfortunately, we had a short recruiting segment this week. That's it? That's I'm, all the time I get? That's oh, man, all... that's, a half an hour, that's a half an hour shorter than last week. I know. We did. Well, now, may, the rest of the time, now there's no more team stuff going on. We'll be able to talk all kinds of recruiting. So I'll take up a lot more of your time. So everyone will love that. And if you have. <laughs> More questions, of course. <laughs> it's a little of both. I know. Uh, everyone else, you know, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. If you have more questions, I mean, we love to answer them. Podcast at uscfootball.com. And thanks to you, Gerard, for answering everyone's questions. No, thanks for the questions. They were great. And uh, uh, love to see guys from uh, out of, not just out of state, but out of country uh, sending in some, some stuff. I mean, I'm sure the website's probably real helpful for them, and uh, we're glad to be of service. Yeah, great question from Over the Pond. That was awesome. And uh, everyone else, thanks to our guests, Harvey Hyde, Dan Wunke, of course, Gerard Martinez, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.